Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Annie Fabia, who is in my opinion, the leading viticulturist in the Napa Valley. She's also co-proprietor of Fabia Wines and Erda Tea. Annie, I really am so delighted to have a few minutes of your time because you are a woman that is crazy busy (laughs) and in high demand and so accomplished. This will be a fantastic show. You are a girl from Connecticut who studied French literature and art history. And I have to ask, even though you had a mother who was a gardener and a father who made sausage and wine, (laughs) how did you land in the Napa Valley? Because I really couldn't find that answer anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) They actually, you know, it's funny. My dad lived, he grew up in Manhattan and he always wanted to be in the country. So we were in Connecticut, but we were on a property much like our own right now, which, um, you know, they had about five acres and my dad raised horses and, and my mom had a massive vegetable garden and flower gardens. And she, you know, really got her pleasure from plants as well and just the connection to nature. So she gave you the green thumb. She definitely (laughs) gave me not only the green thumb, but I feel like I'm so blessed because it sounds totally hokey, but I like, I honestly truly get high on nature. (laughs) Well, that's great. And, um, you know, that's a, an amazing gift to be able to sense the energy from, from the natural world. And I think she definitely, um, somehow passed that gene down. My mom got me really into, um, classical music because she loved classical music and, um, so I loved, um, you know, that whole world as well. And when I started studying French and getting into French literature, and then I lived in France and got more into wine, our dad did make wine in the basement in Connecticut. He would get grapes shipped out from California and with his Italian buddies in the basement, they do their carboys and make their wine and stuff. So food and family was always definitely a really important part of our life. Like Sunday dinner, you had to be home, you know, you had to be there on Sunday. You could do whatever you wanted all week, but, and you could bring anybody you wanted to dinner, but you had to be there on Sunday. And it was amazing. And we still do that. We have, uh, many of my siblings have moved out here and we all and the, and their kids and we have dinner weekly and regularly and a a fantastic tradition to continue yeah for sure so i still gotta know (laughs) um how did you land here my sister-in-law um she was working in manhattan for uh ebel the watch company and this was in like the you know mid 90s early mid 90s and she um was down the street from oriel restaurant charlie palmer and i had told her that i wanted to i was thinking about moving to Napa and getting in the wine industry. I don't know. I just thought it would be fun. Sounded interesting. I had fallen in love with wine. I was very, I'm a very curious person and I wanted to learn more. And so she connected me with, um, Charlie Palmer, who, 
um, got me an interview. I said I wanted to work for a strong woman, and he introduced me to Suwa Newton, who was the proprietor of Newton Vineyards back when they, they had that famous kind of unfiltered Chardonnay at the time in the right. Merlot. And when I arrived, so I, I ended up getting that job driving cross-country right after college and ending up out here. And I, um, when I got there, I realized John Consgard was the winemaker. And he and I totally hit it off. He was... Um, he is an amazing Renaissance man, was also really into classical music and opera. And so we were um, connected on that. And I babysat his kids. And Maggie, his wife, was an amazing gardener. And they're just like, they're just incredible people. So I just got deeper and deeper into it. And, but I wanted to, I loved what he was doing. So I wanted to work in production because I admired the hands-on, you know, I realized that what I was doing kind of in the office and stuff wasn't going to be enough to satisfy my curiosity. So um, I asked him if he knew a woman, a strong woman I could work for, and he introduced me to Kathy Corson. So that is kind of the long story, short story of how it started. And then that is, you know, kind of how I went into viticulture was that Kathy bought, uh, had just purchased a vineyard, and we went out to prune one day, and it was after you know, months of racking barrels in her cellar. I worked for her as a, you know, just like in the cellar thinking I wanted to be a winemaker at the time. And I don't know if any of your listeners have worked in a cellar, but it's dark, it's cold, and it's wet. (laughs) (laughs) And we went out to prune, and it was like this beautiful early February day, and she had bought this beautiful old Kronos vineyard with head trained vines and it was mustard and it's a sunny blue sky you can imagine that gorgeous like winter day and we were pruning and I was like wait a minute this is where I want to be right so I went back to school and studied viticulture and um worked with Kathy and and then she introduced me to David Abreu and that's how I ended up working in vineyard management yeah right you really have worked with some of the greats um and David Abreu is you know definitely one of the um, best-known vineyard management companies in the Napa Valley. Um, You helped him establish and develop some of the highest-regarded vineyards here. Is there one that stands out? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, I, uh, I, I was lucky to have the opportunity to be able to enter that um, business in a time when a lot of people were replanting and a lot of new vineyards were coming in in the valley so there was a lot of a lot of money moving into Napa Valley a lot of interest and so we really had kind of a large area to look at and a lot of different properties Um, so the most interesting thing I think for me was being able to see the diversity in the Napa Valley you know just being able to be able to see all the different areas, all the different soil types, um, how things like aspect and, you know, microclimate affect the way the grapes taste and the way they grow and their habits was just super interesting to me. So I wouldn't say that I have a favorite, although, um, yeah, no, it's like picking a favorite (laughs) kid. You can't do it. (laughs) Started with Kathy, it sounds like really that you became excited about the vineyard, if you will. And then it just continued to develop more and more when you were working with David. What is it about the vineyard that keeps you engaged? Well, one thing that's really interesting about the wine business is that you only get one chance a year 
So it it is, you know, there's a sense of um, no time to waste. So every detail is really important. And also at the high level that we're working with here, the tiny little adjustments, those little tiny things that you can do to go from this quality to this quality are intriguing to me. Like how do we tweak it just a little bit to just like get a little bit more out of this vineyard? How do we make it a little bit more balanced? How do we hear what it's, to me, I really believe like, Nature has something to say, and it's just about us to listen. And, you know, when I started, obviously, I, w- I didn't realize that. I was young, and, you know, I thought I could control things and control how, you know, vineyard management. You're going to go in, and you're going to do certain practices that are going to whip this vineyard into shape, and you're going to sh- manipulate you're gonna it, manipulate it right. and tell it how to work and be. And, you know, that's not the case at all. And Mother Nature always is in charge, and so... The interesting thing for me now is, you know, and for many years, luckily, I figured that lesson out, um, is to really figure out what each site has to say. And, and, and that is the exciting part is, and, and can be elusive. I mean, we have a lot of situations that can occur with different weather and droughts and fires and all kinds of things. So being able to, um, have a number of years now where I've been working on it, I feel like, you get that experience and you can apply that. You don't ever want to make two, you know, the same mistake twice. Right. <laughs> it could be costly. Yeah. <laughs> it's costly and it's also just like you don't have time for that. You right. Know, if you only get one chance a year, you can't make that same mistake. So you learn quickly, you know, how to respond and um, that's that's the fun part. Is there someone that you would say has mentored you along the way? Well, that you can speak of. I mean, probably Kathy has, yeah, has been instrumental. Kathy and, David. Um, from, and David for sure. And Ernie Maldonado, who works with David, who is one of the most underrated, amazing people in the Valley. He um, has been here for many years and just, you know, he understands the vine so well. I love working with Phil Katuri. He is also someone who really believes in... Um, you know, kind of listening and feeling, feeling what's happening in the vineyard. And, um, that is super exciting. And I just, I love Phil. He's great. Mary Marr, who is a viticulturist. Um, she's amazing. And she has been an inspiration to me for many years. And Ann Kramer also, who we have been lucky enough to work with, um, at Shake Ridge Ranch and a great woman farmer. So, I mean, there are so many people in the Valley. I mean, this is a valley of people that are super grounded. You don't really get into agriculture for vanity. And if you do, you quickly learn that that's not going to fly. So for the most part, people here are extremely grounded and everyone is very collaborative. I mean, I think it's a really amazing business to work in for that reason. Do you think that there's more women entering into viticulture these days? Yes, I definitely think there are a lot more women now than when I started. I mean... You could count on your hand the women viticulturists back then, and now there's much more interest. Although I would say in um, you know viticulturist positions and higher, it's still a very and you know vineyard manager and it's definitely a small percentage still. I would say with winemaking, there are there were and are a lot more women, but I think it's great to see women out there. Women have intuition, so that's like the most exciting part is. I feel like our intuition can sometimes be a little keener than that of men. Um, and if you pair that with the kind of the compassion that women have, I think 
it's really a great combination for working with nature and um, that's super exciting. So I would suggest it if anyone's at all interested to kind of check it out and check out the Batonage program because it's, it's really kind of a great platform for being able to just ask those questions that you're afraid in a space that's really welcoming and warm and open. Well, let's talk about your brand. Working in vineyards wasn't enough. <laughs> you and your husband decided to start a wine brand of your own. We just, you know, we had that bug of wine and we, we just loved it. We were trying all these different wines and we wanted to see, you know, you just want to get your hands in it. It's, right. I think a lot well, of I people think, feel that way about wine. Right. I think you like dirt. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do love dirt. So when we met, we started making wine together in our garage and that was 95, 96, 97. We made wine every year in our garage until... We had so many bottles, but we didn't even have a label, and we would just trade these shiners. The wine was delicious, right. so people wanted it, but we would trade for haircuts and somebody to write our business plan and someone to do this and that and uh, trade for honey and olive oil and different produce and things like that. So it just got to the point where it was silly. We had way too much home wine, and it was time to go and do it for real. So we started in 2001, so we got our licensing done by 2001 and and went commercial and our first vintage that we sold was 2003 and that was another funny story because you know here I was we wrote our business plan actually our we wrote the first page of our business plan about <laughs> yes. what our plan was right. and then our friend Dave Rowland who um, Andy knew from college wrote our business our actual business part of the business plan together and we barely even looked at it and the uh, the idea of like really thinking hard about how we were going to sell the wine for some reason that wasn't like connecting in my brain <laughs> so we made all this wine and then realized that one of us had to go out and sell it and Andy and I kind of looked at each other and he was like not it so you know we both did for a while but we we you know you, once you start making it you have to sell it so right <laughs> it doesn't just sit there <laughs> The passion and, and romance of the vineyard and the winemaking can come to a screeching halt if you don't consider yourself a salesperson right. <laughs> when it's time to go out right. there. So now you have your own wine. How would you describe a Fabia wine? Well, Andy and I both um, fell in love with Cabernet Franc. Yes, and why is that, too? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think, you know, those stories that you have when you go someplace and you're transported mm -hmm. by a meal or a glass of wine or sure. a combination of the two, and both of us had had experiences in our life with Cabernet Franc, and they kept coming up and up and up. And then, you know, I was really attracted to wine, that was in Kathy's cellar. That was Cabernet Franc. Andy also at Newton. So I worked at Newton. And, and then after I left, Andy came and started working oh, at funny. Newton. And then we met after that. But when we met, when we did meet, we absolutely laughed because nobody really was talking about Cabernet Franc at all. But we were both independently in love, love with, it. with it. I had lived in um, the Loire Valley when I first moved to France. Lived with a family for a month, and they had Bourgogne and Chinon and all the Cabernet Franc from that area. And then afterwards, you know, moving here and occasionally getting a, an amazing taste of right bank wines, and you know, you just develop even more of a passion for it. So, getting back to what a Fabia wine is, if you'll kind of talk in a more broader sense 
what is uh, a flavor profile of a Fabia wine? Okay, so we have two Cabernet Francs and two Cabernet Sauvignons with Fabia. We love the Oakville area. Obviously, that's probably what most people recognize in the Napa Valley the most, the Oakville Appalachian. Um, and we also have Coombsville wines. And Coombsville is a, an Appalachian that is lesser known because it's, it was named an Appalachian more recently. But they're very different. So they're both on that Vaca range. The Oakville wines are, the Oakville vineyard that we work with is about 10 degrees warmer in temperature than most of the vineyards we have in Coombsville. Coombsville is further south in Napa Valley, which would seem like it's warmer, but it's actually closer to the bay, to San Pablo Bay, which is the bay where San Francisco and, uh, is. And so it really gets that bay influence. And so it's quite a bit cooler. So the interesting thing about the flavor profile is that, you know, Andy's really making the wines the same way, but because the vineyards are so different, you really get two very different characters in the wine. The wines from Coombsville tend to be a little bit, for instance, the Cabernet tends to have more of the savory side of Cabernet. It's a little bit more restrained. The tannins are more forward and kind of pointed and in front of your mouth at the tip of your tongue. Mm-hmm. And then the, the Oakville wines are really fleshy and the tannins are really big and broad and kind of in the side of your cheeks. And it's that very like opulent, voluptuous character that only Oakville can give. So the fun thing about the actual profile of the wines is there's kind of something for everyone. So there's cab, two Cab Francs, one from each appellation, and then two Cabernet Sauvignons, one from each appellation. And then we make a beautiful Chardonnay from Coombsville as well, which has uh, a great minerality and freshness. It's non-malolactic, so it's real bright and very food-friendly and things like that. And then um, it's also we also have a, a Viognier that we make from Amador County from Ann Kramer's Vineyard, Shake Ridge Ranch, which is a beautiful property um, up in the northeast of here. Very fun. Yeah. Awesome. So if somebody wants to taste one of your wines, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Well, we'd love to welcome them in Napa. So if you make it to Napa, it's great to come for a visit. And um, They just need to go to your website? Yes, yeah. Go to the website and go through there, and there are wines wines on the website, and you can join the mailing list and stuff, so that's fun. So you spoke of the vineyards here in Coombsville, which is where we are right now, where your winery is, where your home is. Just speaking a little bit more about the wines, I would say that your wines are very terroir-driven. They are also certified organic. Um, most of the vineyards we work with are certified organic. Um, also we have a few vineyards that are sustainably farmed, um, and, uh, folks are going towards regenerative. It's something I'm really feel strongly about. I, um, believe in the native American tenant that we should leave everything, every place we pass better than we found it. So, um, really building soils with, with organics and regenerative farming is important to me and something that I have um, been a part of in, in my whole career. I've made a priority about that. So um, the few uh, vineyards that, newer vineyards and vineyards that aren't um, 
certified yet we're working on and we're always kind of moving forward towards that because it's really part of our philosophy and and tenets of what we believe in on that note i read somewhere that your wish is that the entire napa valley would be certified organic is that true I think it would be great. I mean, I I feel like when you certify, you make a promise that you're not going to use an easy out. And that can be tricky from a financial standpoint. Do you think that's realistic? I hope so. Um, I mean, I hope that people, you know, really catch on to the fact that you know, being organic or, or, or farming, you is, know, with any the right of the certification, I, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, but you know, some people don't. So yeah. slowly, but surely, you know, things you are happening. Get there. Yeah, you never know. One more thing, tea. So you didn't have enough to do. So you decided to create a tea <laughs> business. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, I've always, I, well, one thing I'm always freezing cold. And Wrong. so I love hot beverages and I'm always drinking hot beverages. No, but, um, I have been a tea drinker for a long time. I mentioned my mom was an avid gardener and I was also the youngest of six. So time with my mom was a hot commodity Right. And um, so, but I just, I loved being out in in the garden with her. And when we had special time together, she would say, oh, go pick, you know, whatever you want and we'll have tea time. And so I would go and pick, you know, a beautiful little pot of mint or chamomile or a little, you know, whatever looked good out there and um, put it in the teapot and then we would sit together and have quiet time and have tea time. And that was like a really beautiful time to connect together. And tea has been, it's just, I mean, the, the ritual of tea has been around for thousands of years and it's always fascinated, fascinated me. Um, and it's a beautiful meditative ritual and also an incredible vehicle for communication and, I have just gotten more and more and more into tea over the years. And, um, and your tea garden is growing and growing and growing because everybody wants some of your tea. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> I love it. I'm having so much fun with it. I want that moment with you. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll put that on the calendar someday. Definitely. I love it. Top moment of your career so far. Well, meeting Andy was yes. really an incredible moment, obviously. Um, in my career, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I just, uh, I feel like I have so much more to learn. I think, I don't know. I feel well, there like the be best is yet to come uh, is what I feel like. I, you know, I mean, we pinch ourselves on a daily basis because we feel like, uh, you know, this is just such an incredible place to live and work and I think the most exciting thing about what we're doing is we really enjoy the work that we're doing on a daily basis, and that's a gift, and I'm aware of that gift, but I feel like I still have so much to learn, and, and I want to keep digging in and, and, and doing more interesting new projects. I love doing development and starting something and you know seeing it through, so I don't know. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> well, I think you paved the way perfectly because you said, Andy <laughs> was one of the top moments. Um, so let's talk about your husband and how you met. Because you are this powerhouse couple, you being 
this rock star viticulturist and him, the rock star winemaker in the Napa Valley. So how did you meet? You did you did allude to the fact that he followed you, uh, your career path as far as uh, you left Newton, and then he showed up there. But how did the two of you actually meet? Yeah, he, um, yeah, we were ships passing in the night for a, a couple of years. Um, so the moment that we met was, uh, I was visiting one of my first friends in, that I met when I moved to Napa Valley, Lee Reinsmar. And, um, I hadn't seen him in a little while and I went to, he invited me for dinner and I went to his house for dinner and there was Andy and it was love at first sight. (laughs) There you have it. (laughs) The funny story that I almost never talk about is then I moved to Hawaii. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Like two weeks later. Okay. So we saw each other basically every day for two weeks and then, um, I moved to Hawaii and he wooed me back with poetry. I love poetry and mixtapes back when I had a Sony Walkman, the yellow Sony Walkman sport one that you could like strap onto your arm while you were running. (laughs) And he would send me flowers. So he basically got me down in like two seconds, like poetry, flowers, music, done. Um, So yeah, I came back and we... um, yeah, the rest is history. I mean, we've had a lot of fun together. It's really, I mean, the most exciting thing is that we both kind of motivate each other to just go for stuff. And that's kind of rare. A lot of times I feel like people can kind of inhibit you from doing crazy things that you think would be a good idea, but realize maybe later that it might not. But like we're, you know, we've always been... Each um, other's cheerleaders. Yeah, and just like... Go for it. I mean, obviously, we have stupid ideas that we stop. But (laughs) for the main ones, like, we've been really... He's been super supportive. And, yeah, he's he's so sweet about the tea. It's just kind of amazing. You live on this incredible piece of property, which has a huge historical story attached to it. You took on a huge renovation project when you came here. I don't know if we want to go into all of it, but it may be some highlights. Um, what I'm really interested in is to describe your decorating style. Um, oh, sure. But I don't think you can do that without talking about the property a little bit and the fact that you live above your winery. <laughs> the property is amazing. It was settled in the 1870s by Antonio Carboni and his brothers. And they built the house and winery in 1886. And it was uh, Antonio Carboni Winery and Italian Gardens. So it was really a homestead and working farm. And it was a few hundred acres. It's now seven acres. We absolutely fell in love with it. And when we came, um, we realized that we needed to do a full uh, structural retrofit. And it still had old electrical and the plumbing was added because when it was built there was no indoor plumbing so the plumbing was added kind of in a wonky way later on and um so we worked with howard Backen, who i have incredible respect for and i just am amazed by by the beautiful creativity creativity and and just like the the worlds he creates for people is absolutely amazing and i loved how when he came in he said okay we're going to do as little as possible so it was a really beautiful restoration and um my style is so um, we took and 
took a step inside your house your home <laughs> yes what would we see it's i'm a minimalist mm-hmm. but, uh, i don't like stuff and so um i mean i there's you see very little (laughs) i love art and i love beautiful uh like as i mentioned music and flowers but the furnishings are very simple and comfortable is there a predominant color white Um, (laughs) i'm a white girl yeah it's a beautiful color of kind of a warm it's a warm white every single room is a warm white everything everything is warm white (laughs) okay um the I'm artwork really boring <laughs> no you're not not at all far from it um you you mentioned artwork do you have a particular artist that you like well it's funny i have um two daughters who are accomplished artists and a lot of the work in my house is actually theirs which is really fun i think that's super um, cool i have um I love photography. We have Andy recently bought me a beautiful aerial photograph of um, Thomas Heinzer, um, who's out in Sonoma, and he does um, photography from a helicopter still. And he captures um, the Marin Coast, so it's a seascape. I love the ocean. It's my one of my other favorite, favorite things. And so I like to have a little bit of water influence in the house since it's so dry here in the Napa <laughs> Valley. So simple things yeah, like that. But A lot of plants. Right now, actually, my dining room is full of um, plant starts because it's so sunny and bright in there. It's like a greenhouse. So I do all my um, garden seed starts in the dining room. The dining room table gets filled and I bring in folding tables. So it's not, it's literally like all plants in there right now. Well, that's unique for sure. (laughs) When you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to put on? Um, I love, uh, as I mentioned many times, I love classical. I also love jazz. There's not really a genre that I don't like, except I really don't like country music, honestly. That's but everything else I love, I would say. How have you managed to balance like the work lifestyle? A lot. What's of, your approach? You know, I am a huge Hillary Clinton. It takes a village fan right. um, because I've been blessed to have a big family. Um, so I have always had I always had incredible help with my girls, and we all kind of rely on each other a lot. So I just, I don't think it's possible to do everything. I'm not one of those like you can have it all. Like I mean, you can probably have it all, but you're going to need a lot of help. And I definitely ha- am blessed to have a lot of incredible family and friends and um, helpers. And so. Um, The balance for me is I absolutely have to exercise every day. I meditate every day and yeah, and I drink my tea. I I need those three things or I can't function. And chocolate. I'm a big chocolate eater. There's her secret. Her secret. chocolate. Chocolate. I love chocolate too. Do you have a hobby? Do you collect anything? Do you have time? Um, My hobby is really being kind of out in nature. I also, um, I love like guilty pleasures like watching RuPaul Drag Race. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like silly fun things right. like that with my girls. Um, Downton Abbey. Um, I love to read. I read a lot. I knit um, and uh, I do ceramics. Yeah. I have a pottery wheel. I love okay. to do that. That's super cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to ask you if there was something that people might be surprised to learn about you. And I think you just there hit, you go. There you you hit go. on a few right there. <laughs> Can you tell us for someone who wears no makeup? I'm fascinated by how you can be transformed with makeup. With the have you watched Drag Race? 
No. It's amazing. It is so fun. I love, I just love that people are just free to kind of be whatever they want to be and do whatever they want to do. And I think everyone should do that. And I, I don't know. I'm, I love, I love just everything they're doing there. I think it's amazing. You guys should watch it if you're not missing out. I'm intrigued. So I might tune in. (laughs) And in regards to you not wearing makeup, you're like one of those California girls. Now (laughs) you're naturally beautiful. So thank you. That's very sweet. You're perfect. Okay. Well, Annie, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. They're really lighthearted. You ready? Yep. Okay. What's your favorite flower? Oh my God. That I is know. the hardest question in the world. Come I'm on. I'm going to tell you a really funny story. Oh, no. I know. This is supposed to be quick. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, favorite flower today? Yes. How about that? Mm, I don't have any of these here, but I would say today I'm thinking of an old no, you know, I have too many favorite flowers. I was okay, thinking of one of old, your favorite an flowers. old heirloom rose is Ooh. I'm a killer for, but I just, I never grow them. I have some native roses here that I love that I make tea from the hips. Um, I think, you know what? Ceanothus is my all-time favorite plant. And the ceanothus right behind you in the window are blooming and they're my favorite flower today. Okay. But today. there's no way to say a favorite flower. Okay. It's a terrible question. I'm Come sorry. On. I'm sorry. <laughs> How about this one? What kind of car do you drive? I drive an electric Audi. Okay. What song do you like to dance to with Andy? Gosh. What did you dance to on your wedding day? We had a mariachi band at our wedding, believe it or not. You had to have a first dance. (laughs) We didn't. We didn't. I, I wanted to elope. We ended up having a wedding. Okay. Yeah. What's in your nightstand? <laughs> Tell me a few things in your nightstand. I have a pile of books. I have um, and a glass of water. I'm really boring. <laughs> you are far from boring. But you know what? We're going to leave it at that. Annie, you are a delight and you are far from boring. Thank you so much. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.